How do you get great results by following a teaching model grounded in free thinking, challenging students to connect their learning and looking for the bigger picture globally, locally and personally? I'm really, really interested in Michael Pope as a teacher because he seems to have it all. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time getting to know Michael and learn more about him and how he derives his sense of purpose in his people, his place, and his practice. I'm really excited. I can't wait. Let's go. G'day, Michael. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you today, sir? I'm super well. I'm super well. Um, you've been teaching today? Yes, I have. Um, been teaching this morning, and I'm, I took a little break off today because um, as a teacher, I'm also a parent. So this afternoon, I'm going to my daughter's Japanese school to uh, do a parent conference. So I'll go from teaching to go to a teacher, to being a parent. Well, that's that's a good thing. Um, so that's a very good thing for us to do on, a, on an ongoing basis, <laughs> is to remember we have that connection with our people. That's funny you should mention that because that's what we're going to be talking about in this first part of our conversation. We're going to be looking at the notion of your people and who your people are. For the sake of our listeners, maybe you might like to just tell us a little bit about your background because, wow, you've got a story. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you. Um, well, I was born in New York and um, then family moved to the South. So I, call, I consider myself a Southern New Yorker because um, I spent many summers in New York. So I had that connection. While in the South, um, I went to school in, in Georgia and I went to Georgia State University. And I also, um, as a summer, I was a summer scholar and um, at age 15, 14, 15, I went to school in Florida also, the FIT. So I spent time at two universities. As I said to some of you before, um, education did not come. It came easy to me. I enjoy. I enjoyed it because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, I enjoyed learning. Learning has always been something I've always thrived on. Um, but as I looked towards ending my high school career, I didn't have any guidance. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Even though I received a, a scholarship at 15, I didn't didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I had this great teacher who inspired me to. Um, to consider going, you know, continuing university and, and to, to follow the sciences, because that was my, my passion. I went to Georgia State, Georgia State University. Um, I went to a middle school program, which is a very con- research-driven program, which deals a lot about what's going on in the world around us, connecting that back to, our, to us as, as, as students. So I kind of carried that outward when I graduated into my teaching, um, how to find ways to connect my students back to the world beyond the classroom. That was part of the, the pedagogy being taught at our university. And then from there, I just, you know, grasped on to teaching science. I, I taught at a prep school. I taught at different schools. And I just loved the idea of being able to inspire students. I was studying medicine. I was, I was pre-med at first. I thought I was going to be a doctor because I'm, I grew up around people I knew who were doctors. But see, I think that life had a different calling for me, had a different choice for me. So kind of pulled me toward the sciences and teaching. And I've lived, I've lived my life by watching my students progress on to become those doctors or those those progressive researchers that I wish I could have been. So you live your life through your students. You live your life through the success of the students that you have. And now I'm working with the Department of Defense schools overseas, and I've always had desire to live and work overseas. And I studied French as a kid, so I was going to live in Canada and work in Canada and university. But I see that um, now I'm in Japan, so <laughs> very different from that. From there, I've, I've been able to, you know, work with military, the military community, military kids, which is, itself is a very different 
and interesting. I was a military kid myself in, in, in kindergarten, so I did go to military schools. But it's very different being overseas because of the experience of the kids, the experience of the culture that you're immersed, immersed into, and the dynamics of all the people in, in the facility. So it's been quite an amazing journey. Throughout that process, I have done some fellowships, some other things leading up to um, this year. And I think I've been quite successful. And I, but I, again, the success is measured not in what I've done, but by looking at what my students have accomplished. And what I, when they return back and contact me and say, hey, Mr. Pope, you were instrumental. And, you know, it's very rare that a middle school teacher hears back from a, from a student. So that is, that is my, my beacon of success. You're a very modest man, really, because, you know, given the opportunity to talk about your career, you've just talked about the kids you worked with, of course. Um, you've won awards for outstanding teaching, and last year you won the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science yes. Teaching. You you are one of the one of the ten finalists for the Global Teacher of the Year Award. What does that mean? Oh, to I'm you? not the ten. I'm just, I'm, I'm only in the, I'm only in the fifty. <laughs> I think I'm only in the fifty. Um, but what does it mean to me? Um, it it is mean. Uh, what it means is you know as you start this journey um, of teaching, you never think you don't think about prizes, you don't think about accolades, you think about, hey, I'm going to this classroom. I'm going in this, to this classroom to provide my students with the best experience possible, regardless of their socioeconomic background, regardless of their views on education, on what experiences they had before. You go into the classroom thinking, I want to make a difference in the life of this child, uh, a positive influence. Let's just pause there for a moment with that notion of, I want to make a difference in the lives of my students. Let's just pause with that. What is the difference that you want to make for your students? What I would like to make is, um, is give them the opportunity to, to connect the world and look at the bigger picture of the world, to become a free thinker. I try to encourage my students to be free thinkers, to find their own, ask, their, ask questions and find their own answers, and to become lifelong learners. So giving them the ability to look beyond the experience of just, oh, this is just a science class, but looking at how does this feed into other courses, how does this connect to the bigger picture of you being a successful citizen? Not just being a great student in this classroom, but being a successful citizen, preparing yourself for your a successful life beyond this experience or when you become an adult. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you then about what a successful citizen is, obviously. Okay. <laughs> of course, right? Successful citizen is a citizen who's aware of the, who's aware of the responsibilities they have to themselves, their community, and their environment. That's a successful citizen because it's not all about us. And as an educator, you realize it's not all about you. It's about what do I give? What am I getting back? What am, what am I getting for myself? Of course, what am I giving to the people around me in my community? What can I offer to them, or how can I empower my community? And ultimately, what can I offer, or what or what can I do to make sure that I'm fulfilling my res responsibility as a steward to the environment or to or to the world? So it's a threefold. It's more. It's yourself, of course. It's the, it's the the local community that you're in is also looking at your, your influence or your impact positively on the world. That's where the GLP model comes from that I talk about. Global, local, and personal. How's your, how does what you do impact the world? How does it impact your community? And again, how's it gonna affect you personally as you, as you go through this journey of life becoming a, from an adolescent up to an adult or from an adult onward? Oh, it's, it's, that's fascinating. I was just writing an article for our a School for Tomorrow members, um, which was released yesterday. And, and we're recording this in late November of 2020, folks, uh, um, even though you're listening to this now in 2021. Uh, and I was uh, uh, talking about the local, the regional and the global. 
And it's it's a challenge mm-hmm. in our world today, isn't it? Because there are competing tensions. I mean, it, as a rude, brash Australian looking from the outside on into your country, you can almost see if we if we if we take the politics out of it and we take the, mm-hmm. the the polarization out of it, what we can see at the moment is that there was a period of intense thoughtfulness and reflectiveness about the global, which was replaced mm-hmm. by a concentration on the local. You know, it's it's yeah. it's hard for societies, isn't it, to get that balance right? How 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 do we encourage students to get that balance right between, as you would put it, the global, the local, and the personal? Very good. Um, I think the first thing we have to do is be honest with ourselves um, and honest with our students of what we're looking at. And many times in what I've done with some the fellowships I've worked with in the past, they always encourage you to get the students' perspective, to get them involved in the process and allowing them to look at what, what change they want to see happening. Because many times as educators or as adults, we try to impose our will upon the students. This needs to be done for this thing here. But when you open up and allow the students to analyze a problem, for them to have a personal stake in what's going on, it allows them to, to make those connections. It allows it to freely become more organic because they're doing it not because I'm telling them, but because they see the need and because they want to do it. So I think that we talk, we look at you know, what's going on now in the world and how the shift has been away from looking at those global connections and more to our, to our tight-chested local, allowing students to really re-engage in what it means to focus on the environment taking them outside, letting them see the environment, sharing with them what's going on around the world, around the world, and being honest about it, to think about it, rather than trying, oh, well, you know, that's great, but it doesn't affect us because right here, we're being prosperous. Oh, that's great. Don't worry about it because that, that, that's a small piece of what we're doing here in this, in this area. Being honest about the fact that all these things are connected. Everything in this generation is connected. Either we want to accept that or we're just living it day by day or we're gonna be honest with the students and remind them that, you know, because of the globalization, because of the technology we have, everything is connected and allowing the students to, make, to, get, to get their voice heard. I'm really looking forward to having that conversation with you around place and the world and the environment and so on in, in, in the next episode. That's gonna be, be an absolute cracker. I think you're absolutely right <laughs> to talk about the connection there. You talk about, you live your life through your students when did you realize as a teacher that that's what you were called to do? Wow. Um, I think that when I was a young teacher, I first got into education at around 23 years old. I was a young, you know, guy thinking, oh, you know, uh, this is just a, this is a, a, a break I'm taking as, and I'm going to jump back into the medical, medical research and medical field. And then as I started seeing how I was, I was 23 years old working in high school. And of course, the kids are maybe six, eight years younger than I am. They're not that much younger than I am. And so we, we started building these connections, these bonds, because I was coaching football. Of course, they call it, they call it soccer, but I call it football because I play football. And I met a lot of these kids that I was teaching in the math class um, and at, at the time, as well as the soccer, the soccer or football the players, we, we, bought, we, had a, we, we felt we had like a family connection. So we, we, were, we were in the classroom, they were on, on the pitch. Many of those kids went on to graduate and and they kept reaching back, hey, coach, could you give me a letter of recommendation? Thinking, wow, you think that I'm that important that you want to ask me to help you progress your life forward? Or, hey, coach, you know, we're having this party and, um, for the celebration of, of life celebration, and I want you to come. And I'm like, wow, you know, you're no longer my student. Or, hey, coach, um, I'm, I'm a father now. I'm in my 20s, and I have a kid now, and I want you, and I want to just share this with you. So at that point, it became a realization that 
if you take the time to get to know your students, if you take the time to value their input and value what they say to you or, give, or make them value who they are as people, they will let you into their lives, knowingly, either knowingly or unknowingly. And at that point, I realized that I was having an effect on my students that I had never dreamed would happen. And it was a positive effect. They were like, I want to be of the man that you are when I become a father. I want to be the man that you are when I work in my job. So I became a role model, not even knowing I was one. And so at that point, I realized that the students were, the success of my students meant the success of me as, a, as an educator or as a teacher. So I, I, I want to pick up a couple of things that you've just talked about in that little piece there which i think are really really interesting when we think about the research that we've been doing over the last 10 years we've done a probably got the world's largest study in character education at the moment the formation and development of character and it started off as a global study and then and then we've done an intensive in schools in new zealand and and also in south africa at the same time one of the findings that was unusual for us last year and it might sound completely obvious to you but to have this sort of validated um, when, you, when you actually start looking at the stories of teachers is that notion of we teach who we are, that at the end of the day, yes. we teach students, we don't teach subjects, we teach students, and what we teach to them, the real content of what we teach exactly. to them is who we are. How do we help young teachers to have the courage to do that, to engage at that level of character apprenticeship which is more than just the stuff of school. It's what school's really about, which is helping a young person grow into that, their adulthood in the, in, the, in the fullest sense possible. We talk about, we teach who we are. We teach, we, it's just remembering the humanity of teaching, um, the personal and, and, and the personalness of teaching. Teaching, I mean, education is very, is very personal. And I think many times we forget that as educators. We're like, well, you know, I've got mine, you get yours. And that's the incorrect mindset. You need to realize that each student is going through their own personal struggle, their own personal journey. And if you can remember that as an educator, it makes it easier to look at some of the obstacles they may be overcoming. And it allows you to, to, to unleash the humanity in your teaching, to allow it to come out. Well, rather than seeking out a grade, remind the kids that grades and education do not define you. You're defined by how much, how, how, much, how much commitment you put into what you do. So as a young teacher coming in, remembering that these human, teaching is all about humanity. It's all about how you connect with these students. You don't have to be their best friend, but they understand that you value who they are as a person. That means that, that speaks volumes rather than you trying to pat them on the back, give them gifts or make, give them overpraise them. But they see that I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be upfront with you about the expectations. I'm going to keep you to a high standard. I'm going to expect you to want to do this. I'm going to expect you to want to learn. Then they start valuing who they are as a person and the education becomes second nature because they, because they are no longer trying to outshine someone else. They're no longer trying to be seen. They're, it's all about the personalness, the personal journey, the humanity of it. I'm doing it to make myself a better person, to, to make my life better. So I think that many times educators forget that you know there's there's a human human component into teaching you have to allow yourself to 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 be human and just to kind of sidetrack off that a little bit this week my students were involved in ai and education because you know and we're and i was reminding them uh, research and out of um, birmingham looking at ai and education 
And I was reminding them, there's a human component of education, which is so important. Um, the human component, is, it, it, it speaks volumes to kids who, who need that interaction, who need that reassurance, because an AI will give you just hard fact data. The human will give you interaction, heartfelt interaction, emotional contact than the AI can ever give you. So the humanity of teaching is, very, is what many, many young teachers need to be aware of. That AI thing is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because unless you approach mm. an education, as you said, which is, and, and make it human-centered and deal with that whole of humanity in and around it, the temptation with something like AI is going to be that you do it because you can, and you yep. might forget to ask along the way, should we do it? You know, I look at, yeah, should we do it? You know, there's, there's a bunch of stuff happening with social media all around the world today, which worries me because, you know, you, you can see the prevalence of adolescent depression and anxiety and so on, which is not about social media per se, but the way in which it's constructed. And it seems to me that 20, 30 years into the social media game, only now are we starting to ask the question, should we really do it this way? You know, is it appropriate? that the world's largest platform started off as a way for boys to choose which girls they wanted to sleep with at college and then flow exactly. on from there. Exactly. I mean, you know, you know so yeah. th th there is a moral element to everything that we do. How do we, again, how do we encourage teachers to stand up for that moral element and to, and to build it into what they do? Because uh, we, we can get gun shy around that, can't we? Particularly when, in, when, when we're... Mm -hmm. Uh, a state education system, yeah. perhaps, or or yeah. or we're in um, a religious um, uh, uh, foundation yeah. um, uh, system or school. We, we chalkies, we're not that good sometimes at dealing with that type of conflict. You know, we don't necessarily want to stick our heads up and say, "Hello, mm. I'm going to take a stand on something here right now." It's it's much easier. Yeah to teach quadratic equations, isn't it, really, than it is to teach <laughs> the ethical use of mathematics and the way in which it works and the way in which we need maths to make sense of our world and science, but then should we? Yeah, I think that, that, is, a, that is a very tricky uh, question because as you said before, um, when you talk about morals, you have to be very particular about how you're teaching it because um, you, you don't know to what extent it's being reinforced at home or, or what, what kind of environment the kids are coming from. So I think that we, we, we talk about that, you have to lead, I think the biggest thing to do is to lead by example. And then to introduce the, con the, 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 the conversation and leave it as, as open-ended. I think if you try to pigeonhole into, oh, this is wrong, but if you give kids a chance to just discuss and live it as, this, as a conversation, you'd be surprised at what kids, how kids actually see the, mora the, the, the morality in it without you having to tell them, oh, this is morally wrong. They'll say, well, why do people do this? Or why, why do we allow this to happen? Oh, and then you can, kind of, you can kind of use it as a conversation piece, more so as a, this is what it is, this is what I say, go with this because it sounds good. And I think we should give, our, give kids more credit in that if we give them the opportunity to um, discuss and to, um, and, if we, and, if, and again, it deals with expectations, uh, it deals with norms, of course, and it deals with um, being honest with, with students, and, but, but understanding that you, depending on the environment you're in, there are parameters. Um, if you do that, then I think that we'll be, you'd be surprised at how kids will understand the morality issues of it and morality of it. Um, without you having to say, well, this is this is bad. They they know it's bad. 
So I think um, many times we have it, we have it at our disposal um, if we allow the students to engage in the conversation. Absolutely. So it's about that invitation into a structured conversation, isn't it? And within that conversation, you want them to be able to negotiate with each other and their world to to find their yes. voice and agency and to and yes. to ground yes. it in their in their values. I want, if I can, to shift over yes. now to something that you mentioned earlier, which is about your football coaching, which again yes. I think it's something that I always did in my teaching career because I just loved it to start with. I could well, I started teaching at the age of nineteen, and the oldest wow. boy in my class was eighteen and a half, and I was going out with his sister. <laughs> No, I could not believe, I could not believe that someone would pay me to teach history and Latin and to coach rugby and cricket and debating and like, imagine, yeah. imagine getting paid to do that okay. stuff at that age. I know, just, I know, amazing, right? It's just absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Jump along, you know, dare I say, you know, 30 odd years later when I've got more hair on my chin and less on the top of my head these days. <laughs> and if we go back to that, that study that we're engaged in, what we find is that the classroom is the place for the day-to-day -day accretion of layers of understanding about character and competency and wellness in the world. If you want breakthrough learning, by and large, that's occurring outside of the classroom. So when we ask students around the world to name a memorable character formation moment or a character learning moment, 53% mentioned something that occurred in the co-curriculum. 26% referred to something in the classroom and the remainder talked about a relationship. So if you put relationship and co-curriculum together, it's three out of four kids are making that big breakthrough jump in that moment. And the teacher who doesn't participate in that kind of relationship or that kind of um, outside the classroom moment misses mm. that opportunity around that. How do we sustain that culture with our colleagues and our profession that it's about the whole of learning, not just mm -hmm. one piece of learning? Um, very good. I think I, no, good question. Um, because I've been involved for so many years, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I understand that there is a, there is a if kids see you, I, I go back to the one word, humanity, the human, the humanness. If they see you as, as a human outside the classroom, it makes those connections a lot easier. So if you are, if you want to, it, but it doesn't have to be something as, as, as over the top as, as coaching. You don't have to coach to establish that. You can do things like clubs or many times students, students would invite me to go to their performances and showing up at the performances. And that builds those relationships. Or when you see them out in public saying hi, not avoid, avoiding the eye gaze or avoiding them. It's those small little um, tidbits that, that, that bring in that human contact, that human element. And, but coaching, of course, has a profound effect because you spend so much time with those kids building those, building the moral part, building the, 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 group, the group dynamics. But it can be things like, okay, I'm at the grocery store. Hello, um, student from my class, it's good to see you. And just showing them that you are human, allowing them to see you as vulnerable rather than I'm the authority in the classroom and that's all I'm ever going to be to you because I'm over you. If we allow students to see us as being human, as being just like them, not being afraid in many cases, what I do is well, I remind myself that if I make a mistake to acknowledge that mistake, so the kids understand that I am no, I'm no better than they are and we are in this together. This, this education journey, we're in this together. 
So I think for many young young teachers, they come in, you know, they have to establish themselves, which is fine. I understand that. But keeping the keeping the human element of it, reminding the students that I am human like you. Hey, you have you have a performance this weekend? Oh, can I a recital? Oh, I would love to I would love to come check it out. Oh, can I can I can I come? And that those connections, those small little sh um, shreds of connections build those relationships, which allows students to feel like, oh, you, you value them as people because you're not just do this problem or do this, like, do this worksheet, turn it in. You care about me beyond this moment. And I think that's very important too. So what do we say to the teacher who says, but there's high stakes examinations and there are standardized tests and there's pressure, 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 pressure. And I just don't have the time. Then you remind, I mean, then you have to remind them that, you know, you didn't go into teaching, you did not go into teaching uh, for testing. You did not go into teaching um, to, spend, to spend your life behind the desk. You spent a, a, you went to teaching to inspire the next generation of students. And that inspiration sometimes goes beyond just that test. And you have to remember that. So you have to find ways to, and, it, it, and again, it could be it, it, high, stakes, high stakes testing is going to happen. You can't, we can't. We cannot change that. You got to connect with your students. You have to find some way. We have a saying in our in our building that you you may have you may be the only adult that that that, that kid connects with. So you have so you have to find a way to connect with those students. You may be the only positive adult person they may encounter. You have to find a way to connect with those students. We're not saying go overboard, but you have to find a way to positively connect with that kid. It could be kind words. It could be, hey, how's your, how's your weekend? It could be, how's it going? That supersedes any test because tests are going to come and go. But those kind words, those kind actions last a lifetime. And they can happen anytime, any moment between classes, in the classroom. Hey, great job. Hey, how are you doing this week? You know, it's good to see you today. I'm glad you, I'm glad you made it to my classroom. So small moments that we have as educators when we say those things that allow our students to, to understand that we are human, we value them as people, and it doesn't matter about the test because it's about them. It's about the student. So I think um, by going back to, uh, I think a common thread that I kind of try to try to remind myself of is remind, remembering to be human, remembering to treat my students with value and remember, remembering that, you know, I may be the only positive influence they have for that day. You never know what they're encountering. encountering. So keep myself as positive as possible and try to make the experience positive for them. Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful study that was um, done by uh, uh, Pisa back in I think 2013 or 2014 now, which was talking about math teachers. And this is really going to hurt me to say this, Michael, but math teachers are the most important teachers in a school. And the reason why is uh, see, uh, see, see, I told you it's hurting me right now, and you're loving every second of it. The reason why math teachers are so important is because students have maths every day. Number one, number two. Math teachers have a greater impact on the learning of their students than any other teacher, positive or negative. So, yeah, if, if, so if, if you're a great math teacher, then you give your kids a reason to come to school every day and have a positive experience. If you're a lousy math teacher, you give your kids a reason to hate school every day. Every day. Right. Every it, go, day. It, goes beyond, it goes beyond that, though. Because um, you know the, the the Gates Foundation, when when you look at their research, and they will tell you that kids know who great teachers are. They know the great teachers. They may not necessarily be able to articulate it, 
in all of the sort of edu babble jargon stuff that we come up with to confound everybody about education. But they know who the great teachers are. And you can tell when someone's had a great teacher and particularly a great math teacher by the fact that learning in all their other subjects improves. So I'm willing to bet that if I capture your students and I go three, four, five years down the track, all of their learning in all of their subjects, even history, is going to benefit. <laughs> is going to benefit because they've had you as a teacher, and that's. Yeah, I have a history degree too. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 the problem is, Michael, that um, I hang around with Adriano a lot and doing this the game changers thing, and he just gives me grief all the time because he's an art teacher and he's got a massive chip on his shoulder about it. But you know, um, I, I think that like. If I take it back to that uh, that previous mm -hmm. um, that previous thing that I was talking about about quadratic equations, if we think the mathematics is about quadratic equations, or trigonometry, or calculus, or addition, or subtraction, or whatever, we miss the point. It's actually about the whole of learning, because if we can engage a student in their learning and then take it one step beyond and actually empower them through that voice and agency, then I think we're really, really onto something. I've had some amazing colleagues who are not parents. But I do think that being a parent adds something to your teaching. And I know that you're a parent. I'm a parent. And, you know, and if you <laughs> want to know about my parenting, just ask my kids. They'll tell you. Um, what, what has being a parent added to your sense of your students and your understanding and, 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 uh, of how teaching and learning works? Good. Well, um, yeah, um, that's a very good question. And, um, and I have several kids. so. Um, as you know, the more kids you have, the more you can gauge learning and development of kids by watching each, each kid, through the older kid, the middle kid, the younger kid. So um, it has allowed me to um, really pay attention to how the kids learn, to um, be a little more sensitive uh, to the learning styles and the learning um, uh, retention of students or, uh, or how much they, they take in. Um, how quickly they, they synthesize the information because you think about when the kids come home, you work with your kids in homework, with their homework, you, look at, you have to be more aware, okay, if my kid is not getting this, how is somebody, how is another kid in my classroom understanding this content? And so that has helped me a, a lot in, in thinking about how to teach my kids, how to teach my students, how to teach my, uh, my own kids. And one thing that I do, um, which I think, um, I don't know if it's unique to me or just, just something that all teachers do is when I walked into that classroom, I consider all of those kids as my personal child. So each kid in that classroom, I consider them to be my child. And what would I want for my kid in that classroom? What would I expect of my child in this classroom? What lengths would I go to to help my kid in this classroom? What would I take? What would I not take? And so if I look at that from that perspective, then I approach it as, as a loving parent. What can I do to help this, this, this child who I consider to be a reflection of what my child would be? And, but being realistic in that, you know, when they leave, they're going to be somebody else's responsibility. But while they're in my, in my stewardship and my care, what am I doing to make sure that if this is my child, that they get all of the opportunities that I could possibly give them? And I give them other things as well to make sure I can enhance their, their education. So I think that having kids allows you to open your mind to thinking of, okay, so how are kids really learning? How are my kids learning? Am I addressing those needs? And 
is there something I could do probably to encourage them another, another way is I would do my own child, my child at home. So it does have a little bit of a, a, a different edge to it. Um, if you look at it and, and allows you to really evaluate what you're, what you're doing. And one thing you do also as a parent is when you, you have your kid going to the kid and they do something, you always reevaluate how you handle that situation. Oh, yeah. oh you do, don't you? You quarterback yeah. yourself, Monday morning quarterback yourself, <laughs> big time, don't you? Just, oh, yep. Why did I yep. do that? Exactly. Why did I? Oh, I could have said. So I do the same thing with my students in the class. Oh, I see. I had a situation just, just to kind of piggyback. I had a kid. He left the classroom and his mom, she's Aussie. She was like, don't let him leave the room. I let him leave the room because I'm being, you know, I'm being, you know, trying to be understanding. And he was gone. And he came back. I said, I said, hey, you know, you're putting me in a bad situation because you were gone so long. So I need, I have, I'm going to have to write you up because, and he said, Miss Poe, why are you going to write me up? And I said, you know what? Maybe I'm being a little bit too extreme. Let me reevaluate that. You're right. Let me reevaluate what I'm doing with you. So it teaches you as a parent. Again, you bring it back to, into the classroom to reevaluate. So, you know what? You're right. Maybe I'm being a bit extreme. Let me give you another. I'm going to give you another chance. And I'm going to. And these are and these are the strict guidelines we're going to follow. So, as a parent, it allows you to step back in your classroom to look at the whole picture. You know, quarterback yourself. You know, and decide: Am I am I making the best decision? Am I making the best decision for that kid at this time, or am I just making a decision? because I'm just trying to make a decision. Because you, you can think about the past relationships and the future relationship you're gonna have with this kid, as in with the parent. How's my kid reacted in the past? What can I expect for them in the future? So I think that makes it easier when you're in the classroom. Like it's not, it's not necessary, of course, but it just makes it easier to, to, to manage, to manage that, that teaching situation. Yeah, and of course, you know, as I said earlier, for our colleagues who don't have children, I mean, you've, everyone's got family. So it's whether it's they're your children or they're yours by extension, it's the same sort of thing. You know, Michael, I think where we've ended up in this first part of our conversation together, uh, what I think are the two most important elements of teacher agency, and that is number one, reflection, because yeah. a teacher who doesn't reflect is, not, is a teacher who doesn't grow. And if you don't allow yourself time yeah. to reflect, it won't happen. And if you exactly. and if you ever expect anybody will give you that time, they won't. So you have to you have to take that time yourself, don't take you? It. Yes. And, yes. And and secondly, love because if you don't love the kids you're working with, and if you don't love what you're doing, yes. do you know? Yes. It's really yeah. hard work, isn't it? Like, why would yeah, you do it? it? Because it why is. would you do it? So, um, and 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 these are not you know necessarily uh, uh, fashionable to talk about love but you know it's but but you know Khalil Gibran said love is work made visible and you know if we if we don't make that visible then we can't teach who we are if we can't teach who we are then we're never going to get it are we I wonder sir whether we might um we might pick this up in the second conversation that we're going to have which is all going to be about place and the role of place in, in that way to do would you would you mind joining me for that soon of course thank you very much michael thank you the game changers podcast is produced by oliver cummins for orbital productions it's powered by a school for and circle.education it's available on apple podcasts on soundcloud on spotify and on google if you like what you hear tell your friends subscribe like you know what to do let's go